What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. October Perez had no choice but to trust the adults around her with her life. She was only two years old and needed those adults to care for her. In June of 2011, that trust would be broken when one of those adults took her life. This is Monsters. October Ann Perez was born on January 10, 2009 to Christy Perez, who was married to a man named Freddy Perez, but Freddy would soon find out that he was not the father. Christy tried to cover up the fact that she had cheated on her husband, but soon enough, a paternity test would prove that a man named Michael Arndt was actually October's father. After that, Christy and Freddy separated, though never divorced, and at some point, she began dating a man named David Wayne Hyslop. April Hall, Michael's mother, would later go on record describing the condition of her granddaughter after Christy started having a relationship with David. Michael was in the military, and April would use his visitation with October while he was deployed. She noticed that the toddler was in pain, and when she took her to the hospital, x-rays showed that she had a broken arm. Now, by that point, April had already contacted Child and Family Services once, but while Christy was distracted, she told someone at the hospital to contact them again. The doctor backed that up because he was suspicious that Christy couldn't give any explanation on how the little girl had broken her arm. Rachel Zins became the social worker on the case, and the following day she claimed that she had met with the county attorney and that there wasn't enough evidence to take October out of her home. Later, the county attorney would claim that he had never met with Rachel Zins. April would later say that Rachel seemed completely unconcerned with the situation, but that would soon be proven to be a huge mistake. On June 23, 2011, David was looking after October. Christy said that she was out of the house attending a class to become an EMT, leaving David to take care of her daughter. Two other adults lived in the house on 4th Avenue South in Great Falls, Montana. David's brother, Kendall Heislop, and Kendall's fiancée, Janetta. October's half-brother, who was the biological child of Freddy Perez, also lived in the house for a while, but he was living with his father in Phoenix, Arizona at the time. There were also two dogs in the tiny home. At some point that night, David decided he wanted to put October to bed for a nap. 
Her bed was located downstairs in the basement, with concrete flooring underneath. Shortly afterwards, David's brother Kendall heard David yelling at the toddler, telling her, quote, go to bed. There were several loud thumping sounds, and then there was silence. David came back upstairs shortly afterwards and informed his brother that he had put October to bed and she was now asleep. When his brother asked about the thumps he'd heard, David explained that he had accidentally hit his head while he was in the laundry room downstairs. Christy arrived home about three hours later and heard October crying and moaning in pain. The toddler was making enough noise that Christy could hear it from the living room of the house, but David insisted that October was just whimpering because she was having a nightmare. Christy would later testify that, instead of checking on her daughter, she and David went out to pick up some food and then engaged in sexual activity. By the time Christy finally went downstairs, although October was still making noise, she appeared to be unconscious and didn't respond to Christy's attempts to wake her up. After Christy called 911, October was rushed to Benefice Hospital in Great Falls for emergency medical treatment. The following day, she was transferred to Salt Lake City for more specialized care to the primary children's hospital. Despite the best efforts of the doctors in the intensive care unit, October's condition continued to deteriorate, and on June 25th, two days after she was injured, she passed away. Her cause of death was documented as severe trauma to the head. Michael Arndt had been stationed in Afghanistan when he received the news that his young daughter had been seriously injured. He immediately began to travel back to the United States, but October's condition deteriorated too quickly, and by the time his flight landed in the States, his daughter was already gone. From the moment Michael met David Hyslop, he had a deep distrust for the other man. He didn't know David well and had only been introduced to him once, but he instantly disliked him. Later, he stated that David had been part of the reason that he'd recently hired a lawyer in an attempt to have October removed from the house where Christy, David, Kendall, and Janetta lived. He didn't want October to be around David, and he didn't trust David to care for her. Now, his worst nightmare had come true. October had died in David's care, and Michael hadn't been able to stop it. Because it was clear that October hadn't died of natural causes, hospital staff and law enforcement were suspicious that she was a victim of violence, and they requested an autopsy. The results of the autopsy confirmed severe head trauma, which had caused her brain to swell and left blood pooling inside her skull. But the wound to her head wasn't the only thing that had contributed to her death. October had also suffered from what the medical examiner called an unusual and catastrophic spinal injury. The injury seemed to be from somebody forcefully bending her body over a firm object, causing damage to the spine. October's body also showed signs of being abused in the past, with multiple healed injuries that had taken place over several months. The lead detective working the case was Officer Noah Scott, who had been at Primary Children's Medical Center sitting beside October's bed during the last minutes of her life. He had been there while arrangements were made to donate October's organs, and he had watched while her life support was turned off. Officer Scott leaned over and whispered into the little girl's ear, promising that he would do the best investigation he could. From the moment that investigators realized October's injuries were suspicious, Officer Scott focused his attention on one suspect, David Wayne Hyslop, the man who had been trusted to take care of October the night she died. In police interviews, David only increased the suspicion against him. 
he seemed unable to commit to one version of events that had taken place that night. Instead, telling Officer Scott a different story every time new evidence was discovered. In his original statement, David insisted that he had no idea how October had gotten her injuries, and even tried to blame her unresponsive state on food poisoning from eating bad hot dogs. But police already knew about the yelling and thumping that Kendall had heard that night, and they knew that David had tried to discourage Christy from checking on her daughter by insisting that October was just having a nightmare. David claimed that he couldn't remember the cause of the thumping noises that his brother had heard. He said that he believed that the noises were due to him either dropping October on the ground or throwing her there, which made the toddler's head hit the basement's concrete floor. Eventually, he stuck to one version of events. In the process of putting October to bed, he'd accidentally lost grip and dropped her. Immediately after October hit the ground, David knew that something was wrong. She didn't seem to cry and he noticed that her arms and legs appeared to be spasming. Supposedly believing that October had been knocked unconscious, David had tucked the toddler into bed and then walked up the basement stairs to the main living area of the house. He didn't go back down to check on her and despite knowing she had a head injury, he didn't make any attempts to call an ambulance or take her to the hospital. Larry LaFountain, who was one of David's defense attorneys, blamed the Great Falls police for allowing October's death to occur. He referenced a police visit to the home only a few months before October died in response to a call from a concerned doctor who had treated the toddler for an injury. It turned out that after April had taken October to the hospital and it was revealed that she had a broken arm, the doctor had noticed that she had an older fracture in her other arm. As a mandatory reporter and suspecting that the little girl was being abused, the doctor contacted authorities on his own. Eventually, the police stopped their investigation and referred the case to Child and Family Services. Rachel Zins was supposedly spending three hours a week in Christie's home, but she still came to the conclusion that both of the arm fractures had been due to accidents. Photos of the condition of the home make it seem unlikely that any social worker had spent any time in the house. It turned out that October and her half-brother when he was there slept in the basement. That might not seem unusual at first because lots of people have finished basements in their homes, but that was not the case here. The basement was completely unfinished, with a cold concrete floor, exposed framing, exposed wiring, and it wasn't even clean. There was garbage, tires, cinder blocks, and sheet metal. The rest of the house wasn't any better. When authorities started investigating October's death, they took pictures on that same day that showed maggots in the refrigerator and dirty diapers on the floor. Either there was never a social worker in that house, or they were the worst social worker on the planet. On top of the condition of the home, David had also previously lost custody of his own children in Oklahoma due to drug charges and child and family services seemed to either not look into him or not care about his history. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Another defense attorney, Vince Vanderhagen, tried to blame the other inhabitants of the house for October's death. He told the jury that, if David was convicted, the real killer, the real person who caused these injuries to October Perez, would go free and would not be held accountable. Vanderhagen acknowledged that it was impossible for October's fatal injuries to be caused by an accident, but he argued that October had received the injuries in a separate incident, which David wasn't present for. To decide who the real killer had been, Vanderhagen told the jury that they needed to quote, look for who had the motive and who had the opportunity. The defense pointed out that, during the early police interviews, David's brother Kendall had been the first person to construct an alibi. Vanderhagen called Kendall a good liar, someone who had remained calm during his interviews, and had been able to quickly convince the officers that he was innocent, preventing him from being interrogated any further. Vanderhagen told the court, quote, they didn't do to Kendall what they did to David Hyslop. Great Falls Police Department, this is who you need to do an interrogation on. Although Christie had been out of the house at the time October received her head injury, Vanderhagen insisted that she couldn't be trusted. He pointed out that during October's autopsy, the medical examiner had found two different spinal fractures. One had taken place at the same time as the fatal head injury, but the other fracture was in the early stages of healing, around a few days old. The attorney told the jury that Christie had never taken October to the doctor for the first spinal fracture, even though it would have caused the toddler a significant amount of pain. Christie testified that, over the past few months, she had noticed strange bruises and injuries on October's body, which only ever seemed to happen when she was away from the house. She would ask David how October had been injured, and he would always say it had been an accident. According to the defense, Christie was an untrustworthy witness. The defense said, quote, If you believe and you convict in this case, based on the statement of Christie Perez, an innocent person gets convicted and a killer walks. While pointing the finger at Kendall and Christie, Vanderhagen told the jury that they needed to remain objective in the case and try to consider all of the evidence, instead of acting emotionally. He said, quote, You can protect this child and you can follow the law and you can do what is just. You can do what is right by acquitting David Hyslop. Now, I completely agree that Christie is not 100% innocent in this case. Even if everything she said is true, and that's very unlikely, she still had to be neglectful enough to see bruises on her daughter multiple times and not question David further about how she got them. She also clearly didn't get October medical treatment when it was needed, as she had a spinal fracture and a broken arm at different times that had never been treated. The truth is that Christie likely did know what kind of abuse was going on, because when April had taken October to the hospital with her second broken arm, Christie initially didn't want to go. April had to force her to take the girl to the hospital. It's likely that Christie knew that October was being abused and was trying to hide the injuries. In my opinion, Christie should also be punished for that neglect, but none of that means that David didn't abuse October. He still caused a fatal head injury to a two-year-old, something he admitted to the police. Attorney John Parker, the lead prosecutor, called the defense's argument something out of a Cops and Robbers dime novel from the 30s. Parker said, quote, For the defense, the killer could be anybody, except for the person who admitted injuring the child that day. He condemned the defense's attempts to blame the other household members for October's death, calling the arguments a distraction. The prosecutor said, quote, You might not like Christie, 
You might not like Kendall. You might not like David. This is not a popularity contest. Only one person gave an ongoing series of bogus excuses, and that was David. The prosecution admitted that Christie had not done everything she could to ensure the well-being of her daughter, but insisted that Christie's mistakes as a parent didn't mean she had been the one to kill October. In fact, it was impossible for her to have been the killer. All of the evidence suggested that Christie had been away from the house in the window of time when her daughter had been fatally injured. Parker told the court, quote, Christie is an easy person to throw darts at, but she wasn't there. Open and shut, she wasn't there. You can hate her or like her, but none of it puts her there at the time of the injuries. The prosecutor also acknowledged that Kendall hadn't been honest with the police in his first interviews, but denied that the lies were related to whether or not he was innocent in the case. He said, quote, I'm asking you to look for the reason. He lied to protect his brother. He was in a position of being in possession of facts that would make him a material witness against his own brother. Instead of focusing on the people who could have potentially had the opportunity to harm October, Parker focused on the indisputable facts in the case. It was undeniable that David Heislop had lied during his interviews, and the prosecution argued that he had deliberately been trying to reveal as little information as possible to law enforcement. Parker told the court, quote, Think about how his story changed and why. Every time he was confronted with new information, his story evolved. The prosecution addressed David's version of events where he had accidentally dropped October, causing her to hit her head on a hard concrete floor. Parker argued that, if an innocent person accidentally dropped a toddler and believed that the child was seriously injured or unconscious, their response would never be to leave the child alone in bed for several hours. He said, quote, an innocent person in panic mode calls an ambulance. Accidents happen. People report them. But people hurt somebody and they cover their own ass. The prosecution also cast doubt on the possibility that any of October's injuries could have been accidental, pointing out the multiple spinal fractures, the bruising on her body, and the bleeding and swelling in her brain. After the week-long trial, over 60 people gathered in the courtroom to hear the clerk read the verdict. David was found guilty of fatally injuring October. The jury believed that he was the person responsible for October's catastrophic brain injury, despite David's attorneys arguing that there had been multiple people on the property who could have injured the toddler. As soon as the clerk stated that David Heislop was guilty, both of October's parents immediately burst into tears, and so did David himself. He was led out of the courtroom in handcuffs, still crying. October's father, Michael, described the guilty verdict as feeling like a weight coming off his chest. He was glad that David had avoided the death penalty. In his opinion, execution was still an easy way out. He wanted David to sit in prison, thinking about what he had done. He and Christy had barely spoken after October's death, keeping their families separated while they grieved the loss of their daughter. But Michael never even considered the possibility that Christy might have been October's killer. In response to the defense's claims about Christy, Michael said, quote, I've known Christy for quite some time. As far as her abusing her own children, I don't see that happening. Christy didn't comment on the verdict, but shortly before leaving the courtroom, she hugged lead prosecutor John Parker. Parker described himself as being relieved and pleased at the verdict, saying, quote, This brings justice for a child who didn't have to die, and now our community can keep working to try and make sure something like this never happens again. It wasn't until after the trial that April Hall was interviewed and more details about the case were revealed. 
The lack of action on the part of Child and Family Services has made people call the agency an accomplice in the case. There were clear lies on the part of the caseworker and their lack of action directly led to October's death. Rachel Zins no longer works for the state of Montana and works as a social worker at a nursing home. It also seems clear from April's side of the story that Christy was more aware of the abuse that was going on against October and tried to cover it up. Despite Christy likely also deserving some of the punishment for her complicity in October's abuse, I don't think that David got more punishment than he deserved. He clearly caused the violent death of a two-year-old child and is exactly where he belongs. The lack of punishment for Christy does not mean David got too much punishment. Officer Scott remained confident that David was guilty of the charges against him and there was no doubt in his mind that the right person had been convicted. He said, quote, I'd like to see him with a hundred-year sentence, before calling David a monster. He added, quote, he gave October a death sentence when he left her suffering for three hours sitting in her bed. In June of 2012, Officer Scott got his wish when David was sentenced to 100 years in prison. He would never be able to harm another child. After the sentence was handed down, Michael Arndt made a statement saying, quote, It's a fit sentence for that monster. I couldn't have said it better myself. If you want to watch April Hall's complete interview, there's a link in the description. Also, Toby House is a charity that was started in October's name that is a crisis nursery providing urgent or emergency care for children ages 0 to 6 and providing a safe place for children at no cost to families. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.